Are you a Christian who finds yourself struggling with the same sin over and over again? Do you feel like your life doesn't seem to reflect the resurrection you know to be true? Have you tried dozens of books and techniques only to find yourself discouraged and ready to give up? Well, we've got good news for you. Questions like these inspired our journey into the rich biblical truths we call New Heart Theology. And we believe if you join us in this journey, we'll learn together, we'll wrestle together, and we'll strive together unto godliness. Welcome to the New Heart Theology Podcast, where we talk about, well, New Heart Theology and how that theology aids us in our battle against sin. I'm Kevin Lehman, and I'm a pastor and a biblical counselor in Wilmington, North Carolina. And I'm Grant Forrester, and I'm a pastor and an apologist in Wilmington, North Carolina. And today on the show, we're kicking off a brand new season focused on applying NHT to common mental health and sin issues. Oh, yeah. In this particular episode, we're going to apply new heart theology to one of the fastest growing mental health issues mm. in our culture. Today, we're going to be talking about anxiety. We hope you enjoy the show. Anxiety, a very common response to a stressful circumstance. The anxious person looks into the future and imagines what it might feel like to lose something they love. Mm -hmm. And so often anxiety develops when we fear losing something that we find truly precious. And that fear then spirals into a vicious circle of spiritual and oftentimes physical damage. And these things don't have to be physical, tangible objects. It right. could be losing your pride or your freedom or your perception among people. Mm -hmm. Someone who stresses over their schedule is worried about disappointing others or not having time to do what they want or need to do. Right. And so the, the DSM-5, which is this giant book that secular psychologists use to diagnose mental health disorders and, and illnesses, lays out these symptoms for anxiety. They say it is the presence of excessive anxiety and worry about a variety of topics, events, or activities. Worry occurs more often than not for at least six months and is clearly excessive. The worry is experienced as very challenging to control. And so the worry in both adults and children may easily shift from one topic to another. The anxiety and worry are accompanied by at least three of the following physical or cognitive symptoms. And in children, it only has to be one. There's edginess or restlessness, tiring easily or being more fatigued than usual, impaired concentration or feeling as though the mind goes blank. There's irritability, which may or may not be observable to others, mm. increased muscle aches or soreness. And then we have difficulty of sleeping, get this, due to trouble falling asleep or staying asleep, restlessness at night, or unsatisfying sleep. <laughs> and I would say we're in agreement with the world on the problem. Anxiety is an all too real and debilitating condition of the mind. The ADAA reports that anxiety disorders are the most common mental illness in the U.S., affecting 40 million adults in the United States age 18 and older, 
or 18.1% of the population every year. Yeah, it's crazy. People with an anxiety disorder are three to five times more likely to go to the doctor and six times more likely to be hospitalized for psychiatric disorders than those who do not suffer from an anxiety disorder. Mm. Only 43.2% are receiving treatment. It's affecting our children as well. A recent report shows that over 30% of adolescents report struggles with moderate to severe anxiety, and these numbers are only climbing. With numbers like these, it is clear that the world has not offered a viable solution to those who struggle with fear and anxiety. Yeah, I mean, the world essentially wants to offer you a pill. Mm -hmm. Now, they're going to throw in some therapy and things like that uh, into the process, but essentially, they just want to offer you a pill a psychotropic drug that will cover or neuter your senses to fear and curiosity over the future. Mm. And while sometimes psychotropic medication can be helpful for a time, it never actually fixes the issue. Medicine cannot change your perspective of the future. It can only numb you to it. And so if you were to stop taking the medication at any point, the anxious concerns would immediately return unless you have learned to deal with them on a spiritual level. What we want to do is help you heal the wound underneath the Band-Aid so that potentially you can stop wearing the bandage altogether. On this show today, right now, we are going to offer you a different path of healing, one the world cannot offer. But in order to do that, we have to have a biblical perspective on anxiety. One of the Bible dictionaries I was looking at in preparation for this show, I think it was Baker's, Mm -hmm. says, anxiety frequently manifests itself in ungodly concern about provision, performance, or reputation, and appears to be rooted in incomplete knowledge, lack of control over circumstances, or failure to take an eternal perspective on things. Man. Ed Welch, in his book, Running Scared, says the code by which fear and anxiety live is primal. That code is multiply. As we possess more things, care about more people, accumulate more bad experiences, and watch the evening news, it is as if we absorb fear. Fear gradually becomes the background noise of everyday life. But he also goes on to say later in the same book, bad things can certainly happen. But for the believer, there is a resurrection ending. Amen. So your task is not to transform into a superficial, sunny optimist. Mm -hmm. It is to grow to be an optimist by faith. Jesus understood anxiety. In fact, in Matthew 6, 25 to 34, he tells us not to do it. He says, don't be anxious. He says to not even worry about what you're going to eat or wear. And these are life's basic necessities. He also said not to worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will worry about itself. And I think it's cool that as the great physician, he understood worry's connection to the future. He understood that worry is always pointed at something that might happen. I might fail that test. I might lose my job. My wife might cheat on me. A tree might fall on my house. I might get sick from germs. Mm. Something might happen to my child. And it's not that we wouldn't want to take certain measures to prevent things like this from happening. I'm not going to let my child run around on the roof of our house. Mm. 
But we do what is reasonable. We control the parameters that we can. I, I don't let my child out on the roof. And then we trust God with the results. Yeah, and, and Jesus wasn't the only one in the Bible talking about anxiety. In a passage we'll look more at later, Paul writes to the Philippians, do not be anxious about anything. Amen. God does not want us worrying or living with anxiety. And you can be sure that if there is something God doesn't want us doing, he will provide a way for us not to do it. Yeah, and just as a clarification, remember that what we're about to go over you need a relationship with Jesus for this to be applicable. Amen. Without the Spirit of God within you, you don't have the immaterial capacity, the, the soul capacity to properly put to death the deeds of the body, your brain included. Mm. And hey, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus and you want one, please listen for my contact info at the end of the show. Grant or I would be more than happy to walk through what that would look like for you. Yeah, lunch or dinner would be on me. (laughs) Unless they're in like Chicago or (laughs) something. (laughs) If you're in Chicago and you fly all the way to Wilmington just to talk to me, then I will be glad to buy you dinner. (laughs) Okay. Um, now, (laughs) Now, as most of you are aware, Grant and I really go all in on the body soul dichotomy when it comes to our, our battle against sin. We believe for the Christian, all sin is born in the body. Our body has nine senses, five external and four internal. Desire begins with a triggering of one of these senses and can turn sinful when allowed to induce a passionate bodily response toward preservation, pleasure, or prestige. If this sounds unfamiliar... I would recommend going back to our episodes on the corrupted body or the one on the introduction to the mind. And I think that might give you some context to what we're saying. So when we're talking about how to apply NHT to anxiety or any human struggle, we typically start with what's happening with these nine senses. As the seasoned biblical counselor Rob Green likes to ask, why are we doing what we are doing? Mm. So Grant, Why don't you take us through what you think is happening in the material part of the mind of someone struggling with anxiety? I know every case is different and there are different nuances to explore. And perhaps maybe we'll do that in a little bit. But generally, what's happening here? Yeah, yeah. And so the, the flesh is reacting in a particular way to a particular stimulus. And that really is all sin struggles regarding the flesh in a nutshell. The flesh is reacting in a particular way to a particular stimulus. Let me explain. This is usually uh, how it plays out for me. Say you have a lot on your plate this week. You are trying to plan out your week to get it all done and also make room for loved ones as well as time for yourself. As you are contemplating your agenda, you just can't seem to unwind the ball of stuff into a plan that seems doable. Right. Then your imagination begins to fill up with images of past pressures and moments where you were just as overwhelmed as you are now, and it slowly begins to feel suffocating. You begin to hyper-focus on the things you need to get done, and slowly but surely, you get tunnel vision and begin to only think of yourself and your own tasks. Mm. You begin to see all other people and responsibilities as obstacles instead of blessings. You start lashing out at people around you because you perceive them to be hindrances that are in the way of you completing all of your to-dos for the week. 
at the end of the week, you have finished the to-dos and you sigh a sigh of relief. (sighs) However, you have left in your wake numerous hurt relationships and numerous uncompleted tasks relating to the loved ones in your life. You also finish the week not being thankful to God and his grace, but feeling pride in yourself. So what has happened here in regard to these four inner senses that Kevin was alluding to a minute ago? And I'm going to I have a quick sentence here to explain all four of these one more time. The senses being the common sense, which combines our five external senses into one sense experience. Our imagination, which creates the images in our minds from held sense data. Our cogitative power, which makes quick, primitive or animal judgments and our sense memory, which holds all our previous sense data and primitive judgments. Okay. And if all of that sounds crazy, then please go back. Paul's right here. Go watch the episode on the introduction to the mind, and then come right back to where you left off. So what is happening in our brains in regard to these senses? Your life circumstances are perceived through your common sense and imaged in your mind by the imagination. These have presented to your cogitative power a situation in which you have tons of prior primitive judgments. You have experienced overwhelming responsibilities before, and they are not comfortable for your flesh. This means that all the primitive judgments relating to feeling overwhelmed that have been made by your cogitative power and held in sense memory are telling your body, oh no, oh no, oh no, we got to figure out how to get out of this. We got to flee from this or make this go away so we don't have to experience this discomfort. The fleshly response is fear or anxiety. Now, When your flesh, through your brain's four senses, begins to produce the passion of fear or anxiety, this does not mean you have license to lash out at people. Just as much as if someone, just as much as if someone is hangry, doesn't get to lash out at people because they skipped lunch. But they must express a measure of self-control. We are all responsible for our actions, even if we're not particularly responsible for the passions that are being produced by our bodies. Great point. And so through the divine regeneration of your soul and the indwelling of the spirit of Christ himself, you have been given the power to overcome all passions of the flesh, all passions of the flesh, including this one. And Kevin will expand on this shortly. But there can be more to this than just our flesh. Kevin, what have you got? Yeah, I thought that was a a great explanation for, especially given just the brief amount of time that we have to do this. That was a great explanation on how the flesh, how the body, how the how the physical part of our mind would respond mm-hmm. in a situation that is generating anxiety. Yeah, I also think we should talk about the way spiritual warfare mm-hmm. contributes to anxiety because it's a it's a pretty big deal. Yeah, definitely. I actually think that spiritual warfare grant may affect anxiety more than almost any other type of sin. Oh, here's why. It's so easy to trigger an anxious response in the material mind with just a simple lie or a proposition from a demon like yeah. we talked about on the on the previous episode. I know that sounds weird, 
but we have to be comfortable saying the word demon. Right. I realize that it's often a word that is associated with particular veins of Christianity with whom we might rather not associate, but spiritual warfare is absolutely happening on a large global scale that we can only mildly comprehend. And so we have to be able to talk about it in a, in a theologically accurate manner. Yeah. Grant mentioned in the previous episode on spiritual warfare that demons are able to bring a claim for consideration to the immaterial part of our mind. So consider how this might work. Kevin, are you sure you can pay for Kara's college coming up? Or Kevin, what are you going to do if Katie or one of the girls gets sick? Or Kevin, don't you think you'd probably sell out if it was your life or the gospel? Mm. Are you actually a Christian? And so, Grant, what happens next? Yeah, yeah, man. After these evil cronies raise these lies, questions, or thoughts for your intellect to consider or contemplate, your flesh begins to do what it always does and process it according to our fleshly senses. Now, given that the demon has spoken directly to your intellect, your five external senses aren't going to play much part here, which is why it can be so tricky to understand the difference between what you're thinking and what you are being raised to think about. And so this means that your regenerate intellectual faculty that, let's be clear, as a gift from God, now perceives and understands the light of God. Think of John chapter one. Okay. Your intellectual faculty can mark this as a lie as soon as the question or thought pops into your mind, right? Let's, what's, what's one that Kevin just said? Kevin, don't you think you'd probably sell out if it was your life or the gospel? Are you actually a Christian? You, your intellect can catch that and immediately go, you know, that's a lie. Mm -hmm. But your flesh with your four inner senses will at once begin to work on the claim and produce a passionate response for us to deal with. This is why we call it warfare. There are invisible spiritual enemies out there who want to see you fall. And so we battle in our minds against our fleshly passions as they are trying to run away with our decision making. And as we battle against the lies that are brought to us by our enemy. Awesome. I have never heard somebody call a demon cronies until this episode and the last one. So I like that. I I think we should like coin that phrase um, and then it'll separate us from those camps that are demon behind every bush. We're just going to call them (laughs) evil cronies. Problem solved. (laughs) But where I think maybe we, we need to go here is, you know, what has God given us to fight? Yeah. As, as we know from season one, when God regenerates a person, he brings to life the spiritual capacity of their rational intellect, which you kind of just talked about, and he makes their soul alive. So we've got all of these things going on. We've got these passions that are welling up in our flesh. We've got spiritual warfare going on where demons are, are projecting and, and raising claims to, to our intellect to consider that can also trigger our flesh. And so what do we fight with? Well, we have this rational intellect that God has made new, this soul that God has made alive. And again, we, we have episodes on this. And I really hate to keep saying that, but I also don't want to take for granted that this could be someone's first interaction with our show. Yeah. So the believer 
with the spirit now living inside of him or her has a new center of desire and truth that is in opposition to everything we just talked about, the desires and passions of the flesh, as well as the demonic claims for consideration. No matter what challenges the believer faces from his or her body, they rationally understand what is true in regards to the gospel. For the new believer, this could be just the simple, most basic tenets of the gospel, that Christ paid the penalty for their sin, that God desires them to put his greatness on display through obedience and reflecting his attributes to others. And for someone who has trained in the word for decades, they may have a vast theological knowledge base of ideas they know are true. But either person, no matter where they are in their walk, as long as that walk has in fact begun, has enough knowledge to set their mind on the spirit, to put to death the deeds and the passions of the body, and to choose godliness over sin. Amen, man. First Corinthians ten thirteen. here's one for you. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape, which I am learning may often just be the rational intellect, the truths that we have put within our immaterial mm-hmm. mind, mm-hmm. that you may be able to endure it. This is either true or it isn't. If you are in Christ, you can overcome temptation. Come on. But this is where we have talked extensively about the battle between the body and the spirit. Remember Galatians 5.17, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. Winning your battle against sin in its simplest form is choosing to believe what the spirit verifies as true over what your flesh passionately desires. That is so important. And so... How do you do that? How do you take that simple truth? How do you do it? Well, Mm -hmm. you make a decision. You choose to act. You discipline your body and its passions. You glorify God in your body. You trust what you know is true is what is good for you. And the more you know about God and what the Bible says about your struggles and what God says is good for you, the easier this decision will be. The longer you have walked with God and the stronger your faith, which is only gained by exercising spiritually, the better and more equipped you will be at doing these things. Mm. So when it comes to anxiety, what are some truths we can choose to live out? Yeah, I actually want to start in the Old Testament. Admittedly, we probably haven't given the Old Testament enough love so far. So this one is for Josh Knauts, if you're listening. Let's go. (laughs) Yeah, and a lot of that in terms of of not using or giving love to the Old Testament is just that the regenerative and indwelling work of the Spirit is spoken of most clearly in the New Testament. Well, it hadn't happened until after Acts 2. Right, but don't forget, the new heart in new heart theology comes from the Old Testament in Ezekiel 36. So our entire theology is based on an Old Testament promise. But anyway, for our first passage today... Let's look at Jeremiah 17, 7 through 8. Ooh, this is right before your favorite verse. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> yes, Grant. Um, Jeremiah seventeen nine: the heart is deceitful above all things, and it's sick. Is a very true and relevant passage, and it defeats our whole theology. So we might as well just shut yeah. the cell down and go. No, home. no, no. It's a true and relevant passage <laughs> if we're talking about unbelievers. There it is. But yeah. Believers don't have wicked hearts. Come on, Grant. Okay. <laughs> but we're going to go back to the two verses before that one. Jeremiah 17, 7 through 8. It says, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. What is this passage teaching us? One, this passage teaches us that the one who trusts in the Lord, and we do that by trusting his word, that man will be firmly planted. He will be unshakable when the heat comes, which is symbolic for the struggles and trials in life. Number two, the man who trusts in the Lord will have no reason to worry or be anxious about his future because he's pulling from the source and not from his own material capacity. Mm. And three, the planted tree will not cease bearing fruit in times of trouble. No matter what comes our way, we still have a responsibility to put God's greatness on display. And so you can and will, if you are in Christ, put God's greatness on display, even in life's most tumultuous times. Amen, man. Are we done? No, I'm scared. <laughs> <laughs> one, one of my favorite passages in the New Testament um, is Philippians 4, 4 through 7. And I'll read it, and then there are three things that I want to bring out of this to, to help us see how to fight against um, anxiety, yeah. some, some counters to anxiety, if, if you will. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. See, we referenced this earlier. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all Mm -hmm. understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Notice that the Lord points out three things to use here. Three things to us to make use in combating anxiety, worry, and fear. Number one, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice or, or celebrate. Okay, We are told to rejoice in the Lord even in the midst of our fears. Why? Because he is greater than them all. He is too wonderful and too good. The fact that this supreme authority, judge, king, and ruler of the universe loves you. Okay, that fact, Mm -hmm. the fact that this supreme authority, judge, king, and ruler of the universe wants your company so bad that he was willing to plunge into the mire of filth to bring you and me to himself. Hmm. This is what we rejoice in. This is why we celebrate. That's right. No matter what, no matter what is going on or how busy you are or how busy you're not, right? You might be anxious about not having enough to do. Okay, we celebrate because God loves us us. God loves you. The second thing that we look at is prayer. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer, 
let your requests be made known to God. We are instructed to bring our worries, fears, and anxieties to the all-consuming fire of God's sovereignty and power and love. The same God, this omnipotent ruler of the universe, cares enough about you and what you're going through that he wants you to bring those things to him. Not so that he can pat you on the back, but so that he can consume them. That's right. When we place our anxieties side by side with the consuming fire of God's love, beauty, grace, and promises of a life eternal, our fears pale in comparison. And then we are able to let them go and be consumed by God. Okay, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. That's one of my favorite songs. Number three, Thanksgiving. The verse says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. When we are grateful to God for all he has done for us, we remove room for there to be fear of things left unfulfilled or uncontrolled because we look to God with gratitude as being the source of our fulfillment and control. And so another really good passage right on top of Philippians here, okay? Another really good passage is Matthew 6, 25 through 34, which Kevin referenced earlier. Kevin. Well, you know. <laughs> Is that like Reverend Kevin or Kevin? Kevin. I'm the Kevin. Kevin. <laughs> Another really good passage uh, right on top of Philippians 4 is Matthew 6, 25 through 34 that Kevin referenced earlier. And I'm just, I'm going to read this passage. And so it, it says this, starting in verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field." My wife's favorite flower, by the way. Look at how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. There's not much more I could add to this because Jesus is pretty clear. These words are spoken from the very lips of the one who created you. Mm. He tells you not to worry. He tells you not to be anxious. Why? Because whether you have enough or do not have enough, Jesus is still God and Jesus still cares for you. What we seek first is him. 
God always provides what we need. It might not be what we want, but it will always be what we need. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. So good. God's word is truly sufficient for all of our needs, and particularly when it comes to anxiety. The last truth that I want to apply for today is found in 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10. Paul writes, so to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, Mm. a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. I would love to know how that works. Right. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities, all things that could cause anxiety, by the way. For when I am weak, Paul says, then I am strong. Ed Welch, one of the pioneers of the biblical counseling movement and a renowned author in his book, Running Scared, which we talked about earlier in the episode, teaches an amazing truth about this passage. I'm going to let him speak for himself here. And so he writes. You guys can't see that, but that was the slickest placement of a book I've ever (laughs) seen in my life. All right. So what is this grace? Grace is a common word that Jesus Christ has crammed with meaning. Grace was initially associated with loveliness and favor, and the Apostle Paul added gift to its meaning, which could include both financial and spiritual gifts. This connected grace to our neediness and God's generous provision for our need. Since it implied that we are weak, grace also meant power. My grace is sufficient for you, like we just read, for my power is made perfect in weakness. If there is any question that the words of God are good news, grace should resolve it, because the word has become the summary description of Christianity. And so Welch continues, Among my assorted fears and anxieties is the fear of suffocation, especially through drowning, It doesn't exert itself too often. It usually makes an appearance after news reports of tsunamis, movies such as Titanic and celebratory pileups after a World Cup goal or an NFL touchdown on TV. I begin wondering just how many teammates it will take to finally crush the hero on the bottom. What does tomorrow's future grace have to do with such fears as this? It doesn't say that I will be spared suffocation. What it says is that if I am called to death by asphyxiation, I will have grace when that time comes. What does that mean? I don't know. I can't imagine such grace. I can't imagine anything that would make drowning tolerable. And that is exactly, though, what I should expect. At this moment, I don't have the grace to drown because I am not drowning. 
Of course, I will worry if I try to envision a drowning scenario. I will project the grace I have received for today onto tomorrow, not comprehending that I will receive grace as needed tomorrow. Let's say that you are taking a class and the first thing the instructor does is hand out a test and you scan it. You know nothing little signs and symbols, words you have never seen. Your anxiety level rises with each question. You have failed the class before it has even begun. And then the teacher interrupts. Did I tell you that this will be your final exam? You don't have to take this now, and you don't know any of this now. But trust me, By the time the class is over, you will actually know this. You'll be amazed at how well prepared you will be. Mm. Everyone breathes a sigh of relief. Nothing has really changed. There will be a final exam at the end of the course, and you would fail it if you took it now, but you have no worries. When the time comes to take the test, you will have received the grace that you need to do well. Are you worried about the future? then you are looking at tomorrow as if it was a final exam Mm. and you haven't yet taken the class. Of course you panic at the thought, but you haven't considered that you will go through the class before you have to take the final. You will be given all the grace you need when you need it. What form might that grace take? Be careful here. When we try to imagine grace in some future situations, we might still be resting in ourselves. We want specific confirmation that there will be grace, and we want to calm ourselves not by trusting in the gracious one, but in seeing the future. If I am called to drown, I don't know what grace I will receive. Having never had it, I can't imagine it. And since God gives much, much more than we ask my prediction, no doubt, would fall short. Wow. It is enough to know that I will receive grace. I will know the presence of the Spirit, and I will die or be rescued in a way that pleases the Lord. Man. Ed. Yeah. Get it. Yeah, he's, he's written some great stuff. And I'm sorry to have read so much to you guys and gals in the audience, but I just felt like, as I hope you can see now, it was appropriate for uh, Dr. Welch to speak for himself in, in that particular context. Amen, man. But what Ed Welch is teaching here, and really what Scripture is teaching here, is that if you think about horrible things in the future, of course you're going to worry because God is not giving you that level of grace at this very moment. But should you need it, he will supply it in abundance. So don't worry. There's one more piece to this puzzle, and then we'll start winding down. The Bible teaches us that because of what is true, everything that we've just gone over previously and much, much more, we should put on certain godly attributes and attitudes and lifestyles instead of our former sinful ones. Because just replacing one behavior for another will not bring lasting change. As my friend Dr. Stephen Ganchow says, for lasting change to take place, people have to understand how their theology is relevant to material life. So changing behavior without changing belief will not work. Yeah. And not only will it not work, but it could it could even lead to legalistic and perfectionist tendencies. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And I 
I think that's why scripture points more toward putting on attitudes uh, than it does specific action. Look at look at Colossians 3, 12 through 14. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Look at Galatians 5, 22 through 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. <laughs> Kevin, Kevin dancing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Against such things, there is no law. Notice how all these things the Bible tells us to put on looks more like cultivated attitude or lifestyle, or if you are a, a, an ethicist out there, virtue, mm. rather than a do this thing or do that thing. Yeah, and Grant, it was like you were saying in Philippians 4, if, if you don't want to worry, cultivate an attitude of rejoicing and thanksgiving. That, that's how we can connect that to, uh, to a scripture that we've used. Yeah. Remember how we said a few episodes ago, the Greek word for set your mind carries with it the idea of lifestyle change, not a one-off decision here or there. So the answer isn't stop worrying. The answer is cultivate an attitude of patience because you trust God's timing. And it's cultivating a lifestyle of peace because you trust God's provision. And you do this as a believer by learning how to trust your heart and what you know to be true. It's so encouraging just to think about the idea that you can trust your heart. Like you actually yes. can do that because yes. you've been given a new one. That's oh, Amen. This Amen. is fantastic. So if you're the guy who is terrified of bugs and buying an old piece of furniture makes you nervous because you can already imagine bugs crawling out from its cushions and under your skin and up to your brain, okay? Dwell on the truth that even a horrible death ends in being with Christ. Yes. Or if you're that girl who hasn't had a squeaky clean past and you're afraid people will ignore who you are in Christ today and judge you for past actions, Remember, 2 Corinthians 1 says you've been comforted and sustained by God so that you can comfort others with similar circumstances. Be thankful for your testimony. Jay Adams once wrote, in the school of Christ, he takes each of his ministers of the gospel through various kinds of trials so the comfort we receive can then be passed on to our people. Or maybe you worry about your spouse passing away or one of your children getting sick with an illness. Trust that God's grace will rise to the occasion both for you and for your spouse or child, and you will find peace. Amen. Think about it. Name one thing that's happened to you in your life that you haven't survived so far. You can't because God's grace has always sustained you to this very moment. You could be a meth addict under a bridge in Chicago right now. But if you're listening to this show, you're searching for a way out. You've made it this far and God is offering to sustain you. 
But you have to trust these things. There is no magical formula. There's no checklist or ritual. If you're in Christ, your heart already knows the gospel to be true. Just trust it. Just trust. Oh, amen, man. Amen, man. Well, this has been a bit of a speed round on anxiety. Not as speedy as I thought it was going to yeah. be, to be clear. <laughs> but yes, still, relatively speaking, a speed round. Yeah, yeah. And, and many, many people, not many as in small, but many as in multiple people, <laughs> need weeks and weeks, weeks of counseling for anxiety before they really start seeing results in their walk. Right, but right. we've given you a great place to start. Yes. And hopefully we've shown you that there's another way, really the only true way to find freedom from anxiety. Yeah. You know, Grant, I, I really hope everyone will find this helpful. I got a lot of joy out of putting this episode together. It's always a battle, you know, of, of what to leave in and, and what to leave out. But this felt like the best way to present the content and we'll trust the Lord with the reception of it. I, uh, I, I've really, really enjoyed walking this out. I was even moved to, to tears while preparing hmm. the stuff on Philippians 4. Hmm. It's just, it's been a lot of fun. It's, it's been a huge blessing. Kevin and I have a lot going on uh, this, this coming up week and will not be able to prep a seasonal episode. The next one will be on pornography, I believe, right? That is correct. Good, good. Um, the next but, seasonal episode. Yes. Yeah. yeah. The, yeah. The, next, the next episode that, that's in theme with what we're doing for season two. But we also don't want to leave you without an episode for next week. So we will be interviewing Bradley Wilder, oh, the yeah. one and the only, on how Jesus has used a New Heart Theology to change his life. We hope that you'll tune in for that one. Yeah, that should be fun. Um, it'll also give us a, uh, an opportunity to test out our interview format yeah, and, we, and we see, see how that goes. We'll see if we have the capacity for that. Yeah. Uh, we want to thank everyone for the continued support and encouragement. The news is spreading across the country. <laughs> and don't forget to subscribe or follow. And please, please leave an honest five-star review if you can. If you can't leave an honest five-star review, message us <laughs> and tell us what we could be doing better so that we can earn your five-star review. Amen. Lastly, if this material has impacted you meaningfully, please tell a friend about us. Yes. This stuff has changed our lives and we want to see the Lord continue to do the same in other people's lives. Yeah, and remember as well, if you if you have questions, please feel free to hit me up on Instagram or Twitter. My username on both is at Kevin Layman, and that is L-A-Y-M-O-N. We will see you soon. Mm -hmm. Thanks for listening, and God bless.